last week, last week we looked at how uh, Paul began uh, his first letter to Timothy. It seems that he was a bit taken aback. Uh, he was, um, well, shocked is probably uh, quite an understatement uh, th- that God would use him to share the gospel and to, that God would use him to impact people in a positive way, particularly uh, Timothy, who he was very close with. Uh, Paul had been very active in opposing the gospel uh, before he came to know Christ, and he was opposing all those who shared in the gospel. In fact, he described himself as one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. Uh, But he also then, as he made clear in what we looked at last week in, in the first chapter, that he knew he had received mercy and that he was called to represent Christ instead of opposing Christ. He was actively, you know, he was actively different than he was before. He was active in what he thought was his pursuit of God and he came to realize that he was actually opposing God but he still then, he didn't just crawl in a hole, he was actively different. And he sent Timothy then to Ephesus, a a church where he had established, that Paul had established. He was there for a couple of years, uh, you know, and he, after he had left, he was sending Timothy back there now to get the uh, church back on track, to get it a bit more organized. Uh, Several years after Paul had left, they began to drift a bit. They began to be influenced by some false teaching. Some was from Judaizers, those meaning those who put a, an inappropriate importance on obedience to the law, that they needed to, they needed to, I was going to say, do the Jewish things. They needed to follow every, you know, every little prescribed um, nuance that the that the Jewish leaders had put in place to say this is what what it means to be God's person, and instead. Uh, you know, he was telling them, you know, it's not about following the law and what they say about the law. It's about that relationship. But then some also came from myths and false narratives, bringing in some occult practices. He said, you know, about these genealogies and things. Uh, I saw several things, several articles uh, this week that were talking about horoscopes again. And I thought, you know, this... Um, yeah, I, I, I think I've told you before, you know, I, I was uh, reborn under the sign of the cross. People want to know my sign. There's my sign for you right there. Uh, my sign is the cross. Um, but at any rate, uh, you know, they, they brought in some occult practices here. And then there were, there were others who were giving false teaching concerning the deity of Christ. The beginning of Gnosticism, people feel, was, is somewhat revealed here in First Timothy, Gnosticism, just dealing with knowledge and that Christ didn't really exist. He was just kind of a figment of, uh, of you know, that he wasn't real uh, anyway. And he was sent there to tell them, you know, no, he really was a real person. But he also gave Timothy instructions for setting up in the structure in the church to raise up godly leaders who in turn would be able to raise up godly leaders uh, you know, and help protect the church from error. Jenny and I were listening to a book on the way back and forth. We went to Laporte yesterday for a family gathering, and so we had a couple hours on the road there and a couple hours on the way back, and we were listening to a book 
um, the, the book that we were listening to, and it was talking about that raising up, you know, raising up other godly. That as a godly leader, you should be raising up other godly leaders. And uh, well, I, I was challenged. I, I, I um, anyway, uh, that's a. What he gave us in Timothy is, is probably the most complete um, instructions for church leadership that, that is there in Scripture. Uh, but near the end of the letter is what we're looking at today in chapter 6. Paul gives Timothy instructions that as I was looking at those would be very good for us to pray for others, particularly, particularly those close to us. Praying them for our family for our children, for our grandchildren, for our nieces, our nephews. Uh, praying these in, in, in a way um, where we take God seriously because we want them to take God seriously as well. Let's pray. We're going to get into this a little bit. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. We've been looking at that a lot uh, this morning, the, the, the reality of how important your word is. So. Uh, we honor that as we look into your word now that your truth would be very, very real, very clear, and that you would um, continue to, your transformation process that you began in us, that you would continue that now uh, as we look and see. Teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, page 1093. In the Pew Bible, there is such great guidance here, really, for praying for those, uh, particularly praying for those who are close to you. You know, and, and I just see some really great guidance here. I was reminded of something that came very apparent to me as Ginny and I were raising our children. You know, it became very clear to me, and as I was studying this passage, I was reminded of it. And that's the fact that I will not always be there to guide them. You know, I won't be there to guide them, but God will always be there to guide them. Uh, we sometimes, as parents and grandparents, um, we sometimes forget this truth. You know, we sometimes forget the reality that God is always there to guide them. And we forget the reality that I'm not always there to guide them. You can talk to my kids and, you know, they will tell you that I still feel very free to, to give them advice and instructions. Uh, but I'm not there all the time. I never was. And I was reminded of that as, as, I, as I looked at these, you know. And these, re these requests, really, that we're going to be looking at you know, as we go through this, I think really bring that more to the forefront, you know, to the reality of it as I, you know, as I pray for them. Uh, God's not going to help them sin. He never will. Uh, you know, and he's not going to help you sin either, but you know, he will always be ready to help you avoid sin. He'll be ready to help them avoid sin you know, if that's the choice they make. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, so uh, let's read these verses. Verse 11, beginning with verse 11, he says, You, but you, man of God, run from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to. And have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God will bring this about in his own time. He's the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. No one has seen or can see him. To him be honor and eternal might. Amen. Now we're coming in after he's already, I mean, we're coming in at the end of the letter. He's spent a lot of time uh, talking to them, and so we need to pick up the flow just a little bit because you'll notice he starts there in verse 11, but you, man of God, run from these things. So you want to understand what these things are. Just back up for a minute uh, to verse 9. In verse 9, just right before what we started, he says, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some who have wandered away from the faith, um, and, and some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, so we're very clear here, you know, having money is not the problem. That's not the problem. Having money and stuff is not the issue. Uh, money and stuff are inanimate objects. They are the way you use them or they use you that he's addressing here. It's not, it's not the piling up of, it's, you know, it's not having the, it's not having the wealth that, that is the issue here. Uh, the problem, notice what he says, is the love of money. It is when that desire, when that desire for more is what drives us. There's the problem, he says. You don't have to be rich to have that desire. It's if the desire for more is what is driving your choices. You know, I, I have been so pleased. I mean, again, just recently, I've seen again where, you know, families, you know, some of you guys have made choices to make less so that you can invest in your family more. I, it has just been such, such an uplift to me to see some of you do this. You know, to choose that, you know, I'm not going to keep... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go and, and, you know, we're not going to make all the money we can because I'm going to lose what, again, I don't, I don't know what, you know what your thoughts were, but I do know from talking with some of you that your choice was, you know what, my family's more important than all this stuff. And I am not going to take that, that step. In fact, I've seen some of you step back from where you where you did make more money and you step back from it and what so here's what he's talking about you know he, he says you know that that when that that love of money there is what's driving you he says but you man of god run from these things run from that drive you know you know the, the word means to run away to seek safety to flee uh, to to you know seek safety by flight to escape Escape, we, we need to escape being driven by the desire for more. We need to escape that. You need to escape that desire to be driven for more. He says, run, flee from these things. You know, whenever, realize this, whenever you run away from something, you are also running towards something. You're never just running away. 
You know, you, you never just run, it, when you change directions, you're running towards something else. Now, you don't always realize what it is. I remember as a kid, there was, a, I know what it is now, I didn't then, apparently a queen bee was moving on, and uh, all the other bees did too. And so uh, there was this huge, massive, I've never seen it ever, ever again since then, clump of bees. Ah, we'll get it. Uh, a huge, massive clump of bees there. And it was up in the tree, you know, and pretty high in the tree, I thought. And I remember standing there looking at this thing. It was just massive. I'd never seen anything like it. And then somebody brought my attention to the fact that some of them were swarming over my head. And I looked and I saw those. And I ran. You know, I, I took off. I, you know, I, I, I was, I, I, and I did, I was, I was running away from the bees, but I was running toward home. Because you see, you're never just running away from something. You are also, when, when you are fleeing, you are running away, but you are running toward something as well. He says, you man of God, run from these things and pursue. You see, he's giving that direction there to pursue something, to, to, to make to run. It's a different word than that flee. It's to make to run, to put to flight, uh, seeking eagerly after something, to run in order to catch. That's what that word means. The other one means you're running to get away from. This one means you're running in order to catch. You're running in order to grab a hold of something. So you, you flee, but you, you, you flee from those things, but you flee with a direction. You run from those things that are going to draw you away from God, and you redirect yourself to the values that come from a relationship with God. He lays some of them out there for you. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You know, uh, pursue righteousness, those habits and practices that are in harmony with God's Word, those habits and practices that are in harmony with His character, those things that are right in God's eyes, righteousness, godliness, that which is well-pleasing to God, it means. You know, a lifestyle that reflects a godly character, a lifestyle that reflects the character of God, godliness, faith, that conviction of the truth, you know, the, the determination that God is, you know, that He is, and that He is who He says He is. Not only is He real, but He is who He says He is. Uh, love, you know, the, 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 well, uh, that acting in behalf of another's best interest is what it's talking about. You, you are working in behalf of the other person's best interest. Not, not to get anything in return, but because this is what they need. Because this, this is how I can help them. Love, endurance, you know, in it, you're in it for the long haul. You're refusing to give up. You know, that you, you, you are keeping with it. Gentleness. Gentleness. <laughs> A kindness of spirit, not, not harsh, meek, a meek disposition. I was telling Pastor Ken, this one always gets me. And here, I, I was telling Pastor Ken about it this week, and I said, this one gets me, you know, gentleness, because gentleness is not my strong suit. And um, we always say literally, you know, when we really want you to pay attention. But literally, this is what happened. I was working on this sermon and then I had to go, I, I was leaving then, I had to go, I was picking up Michael from school. So I just, 
I just typed this out about gentleness, got up and left to go pick up Michael. There's this woman driving ahead of me that was irritating the daylights out of me. I mean, you know, and I'm alone in the car, fortunately. You know, I, Michael wasn't in the car. Uh, he was when it first started, and he was in the car, and I, I started to say something, and uh, I just said, come on, come on. And then I had dropped him off, and this woman was still in front of me, and I said, how'd you ever get your driver's license? I'm talking to myself. And then I thought, gentleness, there we go. Oh my gosh. Anyway, gentleness, that kindness of spirit. You know, not, not excusing harshness. So when you pray for others, especially for your family, pray that they run from the lure of worldly pleasures and that they run after God's values. You don't want them simply to avoid you don't want them simply to avoid what is sinful. You want them to pursue what is godly. It's both of these parts that they would have those godly values. Now when I say worldly pleasures here, what I'm meaning are those things which which those things which are against God, those things, uh, you know, those things which reject or ignore or denigrate God, those things which say God doesn't matter. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about worldly pleasures. Those things that say God doesn't matter. Godly values honor the Lord. You know, they honor Him because they're in line with, they're in harmony with His Word, with His attributes, with His values, with His character. Says, flee from those worldly things and pursue those godly values. He goes on, verse twelve. He says, "Fight the good fight for the faith." You know, if you thought, if you thought being a Christian, if you thought following Christ Jesus was going was going to be easy, was going to be all peaches and cream. I don't know what people say peaches and cream, but I, you know what? But I, I, I don't know that. I've, I think I had peaches and cream one time, and I thought this is stupid. I do like peach ice cream, though. But anyway, uh, if you thought it was all going to be, if you thought it was all going to be, you know, just everything is coming up roses for me and my gal, you know, that I'm following the Lord and everything is going to be a, a real hunk of dory, whatever that is, you know, uh, you're woefully mistaken. You, Paul warns us in Ephesians chapter uh, chapter six, our battle is. Our battle. We are in a battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. The enemy would love to discourage you. Uh, Peter also says, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Devour, destroy, wreck your faith. He doesn't have to get you to follow him. He just wants you to stop following God. You know, David describes it this way. We looked at this with the, with the men on, on Tuesday mornings. We've been studying the Psalm. Psalm 57 says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, 
whose tongues are sharp as swords. Anybody ever say anything against you? Anybody ever say anything that hurts you? Anybody ever say anything that discourages you? Their tongues are sharp as swords. Jesus describes it this way. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Jesus told us, you will have suffering in this world. Now he says, be courageous, I've overcome the world. In him we can have peace. But he said, he said, be ready, because in this world you will have suffering. It's going to be there. So he says, fight the good fight for the faith. First Timothy again. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life so that you were called to and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. When you're in a battle, when you're in a struggle, you get weary. When you run after God, you get weary. I was talking to someone this week who's in the midst of a battle. Uh, you know, they, they, they are getting hit physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, you know, real, relationally. Um, more than once during the conversation they told me, this isn't worth it. I can't keep doing this. And I can't go on. Uh, they said, I keep doing the right thing and it keeps getting thrown back in my face. I can't do this. We're in a battle and we get weary. Galatians 6 says, so we must not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Second Thessalonians, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. First Peter, so those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, and trust themselves to a faithful creator. We are in a battle. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. When you are praying for others, pray that they fight against anything that will take them away from God. That they will fight against anything that will take them away from God and that they will hold fast to eternal life. You know, that, that, it is a fight against those things which take us away from God. Scripture says the pleasures of sin last but a moment. Did you catch how sin was described there? Let me say it for you again. The pleasures of sin last but a moment. There's where part of the battle is because it's pleasure. And we seek pleasure. And we want to go after pleasure. If you've ever had a battle with drugs or alcohol, you know, you know, drugs or alcohol, and you do drugs and alcohol sometimes because why? Because of the way it makes you feel. Well, it makes me feel good. Well, you know, when you realize then how it's destroying you, 
and how it's destroying your life and that you are what you are sacrificing for that momentary euphoria the pleasures of sin last but a moment pray that they fight against anything that will take them away from God and that they hold fast to eternal life verse 13 he says, in the presence of God who gives life to all in Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Punctius Pilate, I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another reminder. We live our lives in the presence of God. You know, we live our lives in the presence. He's always there. That's both a warning and a comfort. It's a, the fact that he's there is a warning and a comfort. It's a warning when we think that no one sees what we're doing when we think that that cheating, lying, and stealing really doesn't matter because no one knows but me. You know, when, we, when we begin to buy, God sees and God knows. And this is a warning that you are living your life in the presence of God. Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. We live all of our life in the presence of God. All of our life is lived there. He is everywhere. But, so that's a warning, but it's also a comfort. You see, it's, it's a comfort because God knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He knows your struggles. He knows your fears. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strength. He knows you. And He not only knows, you see, He cares. And He's able to do something about any situation we find ourselves in. When a person was sharing with me earlier... Well, I told you earlier that was sharing with me what they were going through. I can't do a single thing to change what they're going through. I can't. It is impossible for me to change any of the stuff they're facing. But God can. Psalm 139 continues. He says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. 
He knows us, and He is with us always. It says in the presence of verse 13 in, in 1 Timothy, in the presence of God, who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you pray for others, pray they will remain true to God even in the face of danger. And you can add, or temptation. I guarantee this for you. Your kids will be tempted when you're not there. I guarantee that. I guarantee that your kids will face temptation when you're not there. When you're not there to tell them what they should do. Or to, or to help guide their choice. And you won't be there. Pray they remain true to God. Even in that face of danger and temptation. They will be challenged. They will be challenged. And they need to know that God is with them. Verse 15, he says, God will bring this about in his own time. I think there's, a, there's a, where a lot, of our frustration, or a lot of our frustration is with God's timing. You know, it, it, it's God's timing. You know, when we pray, we would like these things done like now. You know, I mean, like, like not, not, not later. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And man, wouldn't it be great if it was by, before I even got, you know, before I even finished this prayer. You know, we want to see it in our lifetime. You know, we wonder, you know, why do the wicked prosper? Why is violence not stopped? When, was, will, when will righteousness truly reign on earth? Here's the truth I know. It will end. God tells us through Paul as he wrote to the Philippians, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why can't it be today? When you are praying, when you are praying for, for others, your kids, your grandkids, those, those friends that are close, when you're praying for them, pray they will trust God's timing. Pray that they will trust God's timing. And this is tough. This is a battle. You know, this is hard. Pray that they will trust God's timing. You know, he says very clearly, verse 15, God will bring this about in his own time. He goes on, he says, He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, who, who no one has seen or can see him. To him be honor and eternal might. Amen. Uh, we, we really covered this last week. You know, we looked at when we were looking at, at 1 Timothy at, at verse 17 there, it said, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Um, listen to last week's sermon because we're really running out of time. But, you know, li, 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 here's the thing for you to pray about pray that their lives honor God as King, as Lord, as the only God. 
that their lives honor God that way. You know, as I was looking at these verses and, and the prayers they prompt for me, that's all, I was share, that's all I've been sharing with you this morning, are the prayers that these verses prompt for me. You, you know, you might wonder sometimes, how in the world did he come up with these as prayers? Well, they end with amen. You see, so I, that, 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 that's how I... Anyway, um, you know, as I was looking at these verses, the things they prompt for me, you know, <clears throat> pray, pray that they run from that, the, the, the lure, the draw of the worldly pleasures and that they run after godly values. Pray that they fight against anything that will take them away from God, anything that draws them away and that they will hold fast to eternal life. Pray they remain true to God even in the face of danger, even in the face of temptation. Pray that they will trust God's timing and pray their lives will honor God. As I thought about praying these for each one of you, this is on Tuesday when I was working on this too, and that's the day I take the time. I start my, uh, I, I meet with the guys, and I start my study time with a prayer time for you guys on, on Tuesday mornings. And as I pray these things, you know, for you guys, for my family, for my children, my children-in-law, my grandchildren, um, I realize what I'm praying is that they will be actively different in the world in which they live in each day, every day. Not just their thoughts, you know, not, not simply their words. Those are easy, you know, but, but they, and not, not that they will be known for all that they don't do, but that they will be known for all that they do, that they actively live a life devoted to God. That they, that they live a life that is actively different because they're motivated and directed by God in all they do. Because they are transformed by God in all they do. He's the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The only one who has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light. No one has seen or can see Him. To Him be honor and eternal might. Amen.